Welcome to the Baptist Health Doc to Doc podcast, a conversation for physicians by physicians, providing insight on the latest in medical practice, research, technology, and innovation in healthcare. Join Baptist Health experts as they offer practical advice for clinicians covering a wide range of specialties. Cancer, neuroscience, orthopedics, and cardiovascular care are just some of the timely discussions you'll find right here on the Doc to Doc podcast. Good afternoon. My name is Michael McDermott. I am the Chief Medical Executive at Miami Neuroscience Institute. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Jason Lyonakis, a neurosurgeon, and Dr. Akshay Goyal, an anesthesiologist. Both of them practice pain medicine at South Miami Hospital. They're going to join me today as we talk about neuromodulation of spinal cord function for the amelioration of symptoms related to pain and spinal cord dysfunction from other conditions. To begin with, we can characterize clinical neuromodulation as an interdisciplinary field characterized by the use of electricity to modify spinal cord and brain activity and consequently ameliorate neurologic symptoms and improve the patient's quality of life. We will not be talking about neuromodulation using non-invasive and invasive brain stimulation or peripheral nerve stimulation techniques. Doctor, thank you uh, for joining me today. And to begin with, could you briefly introduce yourselves, your background training, your current practice, and your plans for the future as they relate to neuromodulation? And Dr. Lyonakis, you lead off. Thank you, Dr. McDermott. Uh, again, my name is Dr. Jason Leonakis, and I'm a neurosurgeon specializing in complex and minimal invasive spine surgery at Miami Neuroscience Institute. I completed my residency in neurological surgery and fellowship training uh, in spine surgery at the University of Miami and Jackson Memorial Hospital. I serve as the director of outpatient spine surgery and cervical arthroplasty at Miami Neuroscience Institute. It's a pleasure to be with you all today, and I'm very excited about uh, our future plans for building a neuromodulation practice uh, over time at South Miami Hospital in conjunction with my pain management colleagues. Thank you, Jason. Let's move on to Dr. Goyal. A little introduction from him, please. Thanks, Dr. McDermott, for having me. My name is Akshay Goyal. I'm board certified in pain medicine as well as anesthesiology. I completed my residency training in anesthesiology at Boston University Medical Center. I then went to Rutgers in New Jersey for my pain medicine fellowship. I stayed on staff there as an academic attending, where I trained residents and fellows before coming back home to South Florida to join MNI. Spinal cord stimulation was a significant part of my previous practice, and I'm looking forward to offering it to more patients at our site at South Miami Hospital. Um, thank you, uh, Dr. Coyle. Let me begin by asking um, what your definition of neuromodulation and spinal cord stimulation is. Neuromodulation, and more specifically, spinal cord stimulation is a term used to describe the technology used to deliver precise electrical signals to the spinal cord in order to alter pain signal processing. This is achieved by placing leads in the spinal epidural space, which are attached to a small battery. I often describe this therapy to patients as a pacemaker for the spine. The technology has existed for about 50 years now, but in the last 10 years, there's been a rapid advancement in indications and programming. Uh, can you tell me who is a candidate for this therapy currently? I think patient selection is the first critical step in order to achieve an optimal outcome with this therapy. Traditionally, these devices have been used for chronic pain patients who suffer from either complex regional pain syndrome or post-laminectomy syndrome. 
These are both conditions that pain specialists probably encounter more than any other medical specialty. Unfortunately, these patients are often out of other options or too medically frail to undergo a major invasive surgical intervention. Um, how do you currently screen patients for this type of therapy, and what is the clinical process involved for the patients? My ideal candidate for this therapy includes someone who fits the diagnostic criteria, has failed all other conservative treatments, is not a surgical candidate, and is otherwise medically optimized. I also find that if these patients come to me on chronic opioid therapy, the ones that do well with SCS are on lower daily doses. After a patient is deemed a candidate and is appropriately educated, they are sent to a psychologist or psychiatrist for evaluation to rule out any substance use disorder or any neuropsychiatric issues that would prevent them from understanding the therapy. Once this clearance is obtained, it's time for the spinal cord simulator trial. The trial is a low-stakes test drive to see if the device is effective before actually undergoing surgical implantation. The procedure itself involves using a needle to thread the leads into the epidural space under x-ray guidance. The patient is sent home with an external battery pack attached to the leads and contacted on a daily basis to monitor their progress. After three to five days, they return to the outpatient clinic for lead removal and follow-up. If they achieve greater than 50% relief of their pain symptoms, in addition to a meaningful functional improvement, they are considered for a permanent implant. Thank you. Um, Dr. Lyonakis, you recently undertook advanced training for the placement of dorsal column spinal stimulators. And I was, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit in layman's terms about what you learned about the procedure and the surgical placement of these stimulators. Absolutely. Um, so the ultimate placement of a spinal cord stimulator involves the initial screening and evaluation process, as Dr. Dr. Goyal just spoke about, followed by placement of a trial. And if the trial is successful, I would place the final device. This involves an outpatient surgical procedure under general anesthesia. Uh, this means that patients go home typically same day. Uh, surgery involves two small incisions, one in the midline at the appropriate spinal level, depending on the indication, and another in the patient's flank where the generator is placed. Uh, essentially, a very small portion of the spinal canal is unroofed to allow for a placement of a small paddle electrode that sits directly over the spinal cord. The generator, which is essentially the control device and battery pack in one, is placed in the flank and connected to the paddles via some small cables. All the hardware ends up being internalized under the skin, so there's nothing outside of the skin with respect to the final implant. Mm -hmm. Technology has advanced to a substantial degree in recent years and has provided for the development of extremely small and low-profile generators. Uh, this is something that patients are oftentimes concerned about. Um, some even have the ability to be recharged inductively, much like a mobile phone, rather than having to replace the generator every so many years, uh, which is a great benefit to many patients. Uh, in total, the placement of a spinal cord stimulator involves minimal incisional pain and a quick return of the patient back to their normal daily activities. Um, one thing that always comes up when discussing spinal cord stimulation with patients and providers alike is whether undergoing placement of a stimulator precludes, precludes you from undergoing any kind of spine surgery in the future. Um, I think it's important to mention that there is no reason that having a spinal cord stimulator would limit a person's ability to have surgery in the future if they developed a new issue. In addition to that, the majority of products on the market today do indeed allow for the patient to have advanced imaging studies performed, such as MRI, which in the past has been a notable issue. Uh, this is important for both patients and referring providers to be well aware of. 
Um, thank you. Can you comment on recent uh, prospective clinical trials and the utility of this method of stimulation for chronic low back pain or chronic leg pain? So arguably some of the best clinical evidence for spinal cord stimulation is for the indication of post-laminectomy syndrome, also sometimes known as failed back surgery syndrome. This refers to continued or new onset chronic lower back or leg pain after spine surgery. Various randomized trials have looked at both spinal cord stimulation versus surgical reoperation and spinal cord stimulation versus conservative management alone. Uh, two of the most impactful prospective randomized controlled trials found that when compared to reoperation, spinal cord stimulation was associated with greater clinical improvement and treatment satisfaction for patients. This was essentially inferred from the crossover rate of patients from one treatment group to the other. Uh, and in total, fewer patients from the spinal cord stimulation group crossed over and eventually had another spine surgery compared to those who initially underwent revision surgery and then went on to have a spinal cord stimulator. Uh, these trials found that there was a, there, the significance that follow-up at six months and three years, indicating durability at least over that term. Um, and with respect to spinal cord stimulation versus conservative management alone, a randomized controlled trial of 100 patients found that spinal cord stimulation was associated with greater improvement in quality of life, pain relief, functional capacity, and patient satisfaction compared to conservative management at two-year follow-up. So at this point, spinal cord stimulation has a solid foundation of clinical evidence documenting its efficacy compared to both reoperation and conservative management alone for these indications. That being said, the new direction of studies is focused more on the subtleties and technical aspects of stimulation methods. One of the most recent studies, the Sunburst trial, is a prospective randomized controlled trial comparing traditional tonic stimulation versus the newer quote-unquote burst waveform patterns. Uh, these researchers found significant improvements in reported pain scores favoring the burst waveform, with 70% of patients preferring burst to tonic stimulation at one-year follow-up. Another benefit of burst stimulation is its inherent ability to suppress pain without causing paresthesias, which is very beneficial for patients in general. So that's kind of where we're at at this moment. Thank you. Um, I know there are other indications for spinal cord stimulation, inclu including complex regional pain syndrome and painful diabetic neuropathy. And I was wondering if you could comment on these two potential areas of the application of this technology. That's correct. There are a variety of other indications for spinal cord stimulation aside from what I've discussed already. Complex regional pain syndrome is one such indication. Uh, a well-designed single-center randomized controlled trial provided level one evidence that patients undergoing spinal cord stimulation for CRPS, in addition to physical therapy, had significantly improved pain scores and quality of life scores compared to those undergoing physical therapy alone. Uh, in, the in a five-year follow-up of these same patients, 95% stated that they would do it all over again. So that definitely says something. Um, in addition, painful diabetic neuropathy is a more recently approved indication for spinal cord stimulation. Uh, in a prospective multi-center randomized controlled trial just published this month, actually, uh, spinal cord stimulation for painful diabetic neuropathy was found to have durable pain relief and significant improvements in health-related quality of life outcome measures and sleep scores over 24 months compared to conservative management alone. Given the burden of diabetes associated with associated neuropathy on the population at large, 
These kind of procedures have the potential to vastly improve the quality of life for people who have previously lived with substantial disability and pain. Very good. Um, okay, thank you. Um, I find this uh, very interesting. And the recent clinical results support the use of this technology, which has been around, as you said, for uh, decades. I was wondering if you could both comment on how you work together in a multidisciplinary unit at South Miami Hospital for treating patients with these conditions using implanted stimulators. Uh, Dr. Goyle, do you want to take this first and then Dr. Linakis? Sure. I find that being part of a practice such as MNI allows me to leverage the expertise of the surgical specialists in our group in order to provide patients with the highest level of care. I always want to ensure that I'm prescribing the correct therapy for each patient, and having surgeons such as Dr. Linakis available for consultation is a huge part of that. We have many mutual patients who have had excellent clinical response to either spinal interventions or surgery. Dr. Linakis? Um, so I, I totally agree with everything Dr. Goyal is saying, and to comment a little bit on my uh, different roles in this multidisciplinary team. Um, first, just like Dr. Goyal, I am able to identify patients who may be a good candidate for spinal cord stimulation in the outpatient setting. When I, when I do, I would refer them to Dr. Goyal's team to evaluate from their perspective. Uh, if they're deemed a good candidate by both of us, then we would proceed with the trial. <clears throat> Alternatively, if Dr. Goyal identifies a patient first who may be a good candidate, he sends that patient over to me for a neurosurgical evaluation. Uh, sometimes there are simple surgical problems uh, that I can correct uh, surgically and resolve the patient's issue altogether. If that's not the case or the risks of the necessary surgery outweigh the benefits for that particular person, then stimulation is a very reasonable alternative. Um, after I give the okay, Dr. Goyal would proceed with the trial. Um, in the end, my ultimate responsibility will be to place the final implant and manage any issues that could potentially arise in the post-operative period. In addition, I am also responsible for generator changes as needed or any troubleshooting that would require surgical intervention. I really do think that this kind of coordinated and multidisciplinary approach to spinal cord stimulation results in the best outcomes, and I'm very excited. Great. Thank you both for your time today and presenting information on this very interesting form of therapy, which I think has come back into a greater role of prominence for treatment of some of these conditions that are not amenable to reoperation and have failed medical therapy. I know that the future looks bright, especially with plans for motor stimulation that could be used to coordinate muscular activity to promote ambulation, different from treating a pain syndrome uh, in spinal cord inju injured patients. Uh, we look forward to your future accomplishments and advances from the unit at South Miami Hospital as part of the Miami Neurosciences Institute. And thank you to our listeners for taking their time today. Thank you. To find out more about the topics covered on the Doc to Doc podcast, please visit physicianresources.baptisthealth.net.